This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield. I'm Josh Williams, and I'm joined as ever by David Hughes. How are you getting on, mate? Very good, thank you, Josh. How are you? I'm good. The season is now officially over. Uh, the longest campaign, I think, ever. Um, I think it was something like 352 days or something like that from start to finish. It is now officially completed. So we're looking now at, you know, with, with, with a view to next season. But b- before we start getting into the podcast, I would like to do a few plugs. Um, so listeners of Analyze and Anfield, thank you. And since the start of this, since the start of this podcast, about I think it might have been about 20 months or something like that now. It's grew and grew, and, you know, we've got quite an audience now. And we've now launched a, a newsletter. So for those that don't know what a newsletter is, it's it's you sign up for it through your email. And then we will write maybe a weekly or every few days piece of content relating to Liverpool or relating to probably something we've talked about on and Anfield. And it'll be a short Concise little piece with a few visualizations on a Liverpool related topic. And rather than that going out onto a website, it'll get sent directly to your email, completely advert free and completely free of charge. So um if you want to sign up for that, um go to my Twitter, it's at distance covered, or go on the Echo site and it'll be somewhere on the Echo site where you sign up to the analyzing of newsletter. We haven't yet sent out a um, the, the first newsletter just yet, but that's going to go out tomorrow, which will be on Thursday. And that's going to be on why, when you're watching football, you probably prefer watching Mane over Salah. I've used numbers to capture probably the reasons behind that. Uh, but the thing is, if you sign up late, if you sign up after that, new, that first newsletter has been released, you'll miss that newsletter. You won't be able to go back and read it. So I'd advise anyone who's interested to go and sign up while I'm speaking now, really, uh, just so that you don't miss, you know, the first newsletter or the second or whatever. You know, you get them all immediately. And Dave will be contributing um, occasionally to that, as well as his own newsletter, which, you know, I, I will let you take the floor. Yeah, that's right. So obviously on top of analysing Anfield, which is... You know, definitely something, especially the audience listeners that they should be signing up to. Um, yeah, there's also something that we've 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 launched called Anal- Analytics Five. Um, that was launched. Pretty sure it was launched last week now. Um, and it's basically a range of different topics. So this isn't solely based on just Liverpool. You know, there, there may be Liverpool content in there, but this is just a wide range of topics across football. And it's going to be five newsletters a week, um, straight into the inbox, completely ad-free, like Josh says, free to sign up as well. It doesn't even need your name. It just needs an email address in there. Um, and each day we'll be looking at a different aspect of a topic um, to give you an idea of what we've done so far. Last week, there was a look at La Liga after La Liga finished um, and just a different storyline from this season. So there was a look at Know, the difference between Barcelona and Real Madrid this season. Um, there was a look at some of the sides coming up coming up into La Liga next season. 
uh, look at some of the star talents. Uh, this week we've started looking at the Premier League because obviously the Premier League concluded on Sunday. Uh, we've had a look so far at uh, Leicester City, uh, also Crystal Palace because it's been a really kind of interesting season for them and they look like they could be in a lot of danger next season unless they, they make some big changes this summer. Um, so yeah, if you if you want to sign up to Analytics 5, I say completely three, um, you probably, you, you may have seen the links around, but perhaps it's better to go to my Twitter uh, at DAHughes underscore um, and you'll find a link to sign up there. Just get signed up. We'll be, there's a, the latest news is going out today uh, on Wednesday. It'll be around 7, 8 p.m. tonight. Um, that'll be looking at Aston Villa and then we'll we'll have a look at a few of the stars from Premier League this season as well later in the week. Um, I'll be doing a lot of writing on that. Josh will as well. We'll basically be the ones heading it up. So, yeah, please uh, please sign up to to both. And I'm pretty sure, Josh, that's probably the last of the plugs we'll be doing for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, thanks for listening to that. You know, I mean, if, if you want regular emails, basically from myself and Dave on, you know, quirky little and analytical topics that you might have missed watching matches you know we'll, we'll focus on stuff like beneath the surface or you know stuff people are probably likely to miss and we'll send them directly to the email completely free of adverts so if you're interested you know have a look on our twitters and you'll probably be able to find the links to sign up um so yeah in terms of the podcast we're gonna look before anyone has signed anybody apart from chelsea obviously signed a few players um we're gonna look ahead already to next season and basically cover certainly the top four and what we think each club needs to challenge or win the league next season um and based on whether we think you know we can then maybe look back at this episode at the end of the summer and see if you know see if those boxes were ticked by the clubs that we're going to address. So we're going to obviously address Liverpool, City, Chelsea and United at a bare minimum. Um, I think it's probably reasonable to, to suggest that Arsenal, Spurs and Leicester aren't going to challenge for the actual Premier League title. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong in saying that. Um, I think Spurs have got Mourinho, so you never know with them, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah, we're going to cover those four teams first. So we'll... Probably best starting with the the champions. It's good saying that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Liverpool. So ahead of next season, obviously they don't. They technically, I suppose, don't need anything because they've just won the league. But you know, what what would you expect Liverpool to? You know, if you I suppose if you in charge, what would you add to ensure that? You know, or what would you change to ensure that Liverpool can go one more and retain the title? Um. I guess there's, there's, there's two facets, really, in, in my opinion, and it's stuff that we've spoken about extensively on the on the show across the last few weeks and months. Uh, I think the first is reinforcements, certainly in the, from an attacking point of view. Um, you know, we spoke for the show about briefly Newcastle, and um, I did have a little a little look at the game. I didn't I didn't watch the game. Hope nobody's going to give me any stick for that, but. With with you know ten Premier League matches on the day of a storm, with things riding on that, I elected to watch instead. But yeah, having a having a look over that game again, I thought if you look at 
the side that started compared to the side that finished, it's it's choking and cheese, to be honest. Certainly, you know, the front three, uh, Rigi, Minamino, Chamberlain. I think Liverpool really need a, another top striker that, that can be rotated and integrated into, into that, that attack that they have at the moment. I also think hopefully that could maybe open the door for them to adjust the formation a little bit because I think Liverpool will need to evolve slightly next season. I don't think the 4-3-3 is going to work week in, week out. Um, I think a few sides are going to find ways to nullify it like they have done recently. Um, so, yeah, for me, I just think we Liverpool need to see if, if, if you reinforcement specifically in the attack and maybe an evolution of the, of the tactical setup as well in terms of formation. Yes, that's that's pretty much what I've got down, to be honest. Um, I think top of the list for me has to be another attacker. Um, just a player who can... A player who's in the league um, and maybe more suitable to the attacking areas than Chamberlain. I like Chamberlain as a player, but I like him more as a midfielder. I, I'm not particularly keen on him when he plays in the front three. Um, so the attacking player who's, who fits the Liverpool bill He's quick, he's versatile, he's young, and he's, he can deliver, basically. He's, he's got output to his game. And that player will not only be able to be a backup for the front, hopefully, an actual, a capable, capable backup, but hopefully, as you say, he could also offer clock with the, you know, the, the potential to switch for 4-2-3-1, four, four, like he did Bikini game, and although that seems to have fizzled out a bit now, and I'd expect him to leave in the summer. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that tactical variety that Klopp's been really good at using for the past, you know, two seasons. I think he's now explored virtually every avenue. You know, Lalan's played as a whole midfielder and all kinds of things like that. Divacari, he's played on the left. Mina Mino, even though he arrived in January, he's played virtually everywhere. Um, so I just think Klopp would benefit from, you know, being able to switch to four two three one if you're playing. Newcastle at home, so you know a team like that. Um, in terms of fullback cover, I think we need it, but at the same time, I, th- I think I think Nico Williams can can dovetail between filling in at left back and filling in at right back every now and then. And I think if he was if he was the back up for that, he'd get a good amount of minutes despite not being good enough to to displace Trent. I think he'd get a decent amount of minutes if he was going to back up Robertson whenever Robertson weren't playing or back up Trent whenever Trent weren't playing. Um, I think he'd get a decent amount of minutes there and he'd develop you know, quite silently without much pressure and stuff like that. Um, and one other thing that I think we should probably note is Dejan Lovren being sold. So, um, I actually said that on the show. So, obviously Liverpool have Van Dijk, Joe Gomez, Joe Matip. And there's a bit of a drop then to a uh, Kiana Hoover and Seth Allenberg, who don't think are actually ready yet. So, you know, the expectation is that Liverpool will invest in a centre-back this summer. I also actually heard the rumour, Dave, that I thought this was an interesting take because I hadn't actually thought of it at the time. But I heard that the whole link with Thiago could be related to Fabinho potentially being a backup centre-back if needed. So you're adding an extra midfielder and almost gaining an extra centre back in Fabinho. I thought that was an interesting little shout. Yeah, yeah, that isn't that isn't a bad shout at all, actually. Um, 
because you, you basically you, you are you're still keeping two midfield options, but you're also adding a centre back in there without having to part with the funds to do so. Um, I'm, I'm, wait, what games was it that Fabinho played in? And as a centre back this season, I do remember it happening, but I can't think what game. He actually, what game. He actually played as a centre back against Bayern in the Champions League when we um, when we won, I think. So that, I think that was last year. But you know, Liverpool kept a clean sheet on the day, and I think obviously I'm speaking, you know, complete speculation here. But if we were to sign Thiago, for example, and let's say we played someone like a team like maybe Crystal Palace at home, I think in that match, if you play Crystal Palace at home, maybe you can afford to give Joe Gomez a break, put Fabinho at centre back, and put Thiago in your midfield. So you've maybe got a bit less of a a midfield full of steel and you've got more midfielders playing but because you're at home and you're playing a team that doesn't really have much of an attack you know you can get away with doing that so i thought that was a little an, an interesting little shout thinking of you know fabinho being used as a center back until kiana Hoover is is a bit more ready maybe um and by that point maybe tiago's contract will be up and he leaves liverpool for free you know just interesting little solutions about the squad like that that i thought were quite clever yeah, because it, it does seem as though, um, and I think there are funds there, but the, Liverpool are just keen to not, you know, spend the fortune basically. Um, and if the, if you can find a way to, you know, fill two two positions with one player, then then perfect. Okay, it's a roundabout way of doing it, but if it works, then yeah, that's that is interesting because you, you, in, in terms of. Buying a, a buying a centre back, it's it's going to be difficult, isn't it? Because you're you're buying a you're basically looking to recruit a player that knows they won't be a starter, but then you still need them to be good enough to to come in and there not be a huge drop off in terms of quality, which is hard in a side like like Liverpool, isn't it? So um, at least with Fabinho in there, you know that um, there isn't going to be that huge drop off. Beyond that, if you go into the market, I just I think it's it, it's quite difficult to recruit that reliable defender at the moment. Yeah, I think in terms of Liverpool having money available, I think we've almost certainly got money available. I think I think what it will be is I think kind of waiting to see what the future holds in terms of when we will have fans back and when when revenue will return back to its normal level, and then once we know that, we'll then know how much of what we've got to spend we actually realistically use. Like for example, we've got a hundred million there spare. We obviously don't want to use all of that if the financial hit's going to continue to last until next summer. For example, if we find out that things will be better by October, then maybe we will look at that hundred million and think, okay, we can use 80 of that. You know, that's a complete random example, but I think we've got the money there. I think we just need we just want to recognise how much of what we've got we can realistically use. Um and I think that will come once we realise, you know, money next year, TV money, Champions League money, all that sort of stuff, money we can get from player sales, the likes of Shakiri and I think we got maybe nine to twelve for Lovren. Um one of the little solution that I, I thought was worth mentioning was um in terms of the attack, looking for a versatile attacker, quick, young, scores goals. Uh, Ryan Brewster, I 
thought it was worth mentioning him, considering I actually wrote about him this week. He's played 21 championship matches for Swansea, scored 10 goals, um, which only joined in January. So I think that's quite an impact. Um, and it's, it's probably going to give the likes of Edwards and Klopp you know, a bit of a decision to make because usually when these players get sent out on loan to a lower league, if they don't make an impact, they usually just end up disappearing. But those that do make an impact tend to come back and, in Bruce's case, maybe even themselves and the squad. Yep, because um, if you obviously, if, if you go to somewhere and you, you, you're fairly successful, confidence is high and the championship is a, it's a good, good level. You know, it's a, it's a difficult league to be successful in and to have an impact like that important, even if it's a little bit of a purple patch in front of goal. Um, I think the confidence is just key, and I've seen some of the goals actually really good goals and a variety of goals as well. Um, and he is more of a, you know, a kind of traditional nine type player, um, which could obviously open some doors for Liverpool tactically next season. Um, I'd be surprised yeah. if he's out on loan again next year. I think. I think, you know, you could probably look at trying to bed them in the squad, depending on, I guess, what business you do in the window. But, um, yeah, he, he's, he's done really well there in Swansea. have been over the moon with him, by all accounts. Yeah, I think one one big question with him, I'd like to really know whether he's capable of of being a wide forward um, in the mould of, like, a, a Mane or a Rashford or, you know, a player like that, as opposed to just being a central number nine because if, if he can play out wide and cut inside towards goal and that sort of stuff i think that offers a lot more in liverpool squad that bodes a lot better for him whereas if he's a nine it limits his options a lot more because if he was a nine he wouldn't be a nine in the mold of Firmino, mm. and he'd maybe only really be able to to play if, if he was leading the line in a 461 so you know obviously those that deal with him there and I feel we'll know more about whether he whether he's capable of playing out wide or not. But I don't know. He's only still only twenty, so still a lot of development to go through there. Yeah, at his age, you um, you can you can develop and you know maybe learn new role. I know I watched him a lot at youth level uh, at the twenty threes, and um, he, he almost exclusively played through the middle. So I'm pretty sure you know it's not really. A position he's familiar with in terms of playing out wide, but if I remember correctly, and I could be completely off here, but you know Rashford very much come through as a, a, a central attacker because because of his skill set. You know he play out on the wide and do really well, and you know maybe Bruce still be in the in the same position over the next season or two. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of it will come down to basically how quick he is. Mm. I think Rashford's been able to do it because Rashford's absolutely lightning quick and. I, I don't really fully know what Brewster is, to be honest. Um, in terms of how he's been used at Swansea, he's been predominantly as part of a front two. Um, Swansea play a back three, so, you know, big midfield and then two two up top. And Bruce has been one of those two more often than not. Um, but yeah, I think depending on how much Liverpool spend and where they spend it and stuff like that, Brewster could be a bit of an internal solution ahead of next season if if Liverpool want to, you know, maybe save a bit of money or spend a bit more on the centre-back or, you know, whatever that sort of thing. But yeah, not to score. 
unlike the other teams we're going to address now, there's, it, it doesn't feel like there's much to change, does he? Apart from, as you say, getting a little bit of a more suitable reinforcement for the, the attack, maybe. There's not a lot you can do, really, is he? Apart from just continuing to develop. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the beauty of laying the foundations that Liverpool have done over the last you know, two years, specifically. Um, it's just managements needed now to stay on top, um, which is a, a beautiful position to be in, isn't it, really? Um, that once again, I'd say they're, the, as things stand, probably the best equipped to to push for the title again next season. Yeah, as a, as a Liverpool fan, though, the, I'll be honest, there's the slight the slight worry that because only minor adjustments are, are needed, there's just a slight worry that everything kind of stays like 90, 95% the same. And as a result, people drop maybe 2%, take the foot off the gas, lose a tiny bit of motivation, tiny determination because they feel a little bit more entitled to silverware than they did before. And you know, that, that results in a bit of a downward spiral. I, I can't really see it happening on the clock. There's part of me that's a little concerned with keeping sameness for beyond two years, which is what we'd be doing. Mm. A little bit of a worry, but... I've got a really good man um, motivator as a manager, haven't you, when you think about it in Klopp. And as mm. you said, you'd be, you'd be surprised if he, he kind of allowed that that mindset to creep in but yeah I mean you just never know do you it's it's such a psychological game um, we will just drop off Liverpool once they've won the title um, so what, what, what I mean we'll have to wait and see but it does winning things does seem to have a the opposite effect to what you're concerned about I think where it's, it almost breeds that winning mentality and that you know that greed and hunger to to win more Um and yeah. what now now live this Liverpool side got the monkey off the back in terms of ending that 30-year wait. You wonder if there's going to be this pressure in you know title races. Not, not that this team have seemed to struggle over the last two years, even in that even in that um season last year when you missed out on a point by a point. Sorry, you wouldn't say there was a great collapse. It was just really fortunate. Um so this yeah. side don't seem to get too bogged down in that, but yeah, I think it'll help not having the, the monkey on the back of the 30 years now uh, in terms of being more success. I think maybe it's maybe I'm taking too much from the, the results since we won the league because it, mm. it just looks a little bit like friendlies and stuff. And obviously, now we're we'll looking at it like the friendlies, but there was a point in the season where no matter what the score was, no matter how the game was going. You just felt as though Liverpool were just going to get back into it and win. It, it, mm. was, it was similar to United under Ferguson a few years ago. You just never believed they were beaten. But this time around, you know, since we won the league, it's just been a little bit when we go behind, we're not too fussed on getting back into it. But you know, hopefully next season that'll that'll probably just return to normal. I assume. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. But we'll move on anyway to, to Manchester City. I assume they're going to be Liverpool's biggest challenges again. Um, so if you was if you was running the, running the show over there, what are you to ensure that they return to the the status of champions? Hmm. I think the obvious one. 
it's the defence, isn't it? Um, you need maybe yeah. even two top centre backs for me. Um, I think the keeper's okay. I think there's there's one other facet that I think they need to try and find a way to get round. But maybe I'll I'll let you have a chat first and then come on to that um, from a tactical point of view. That is, but I think the most obvious thing and arguably one of the the difference between the two is the defence. You know, they need, as I said, one but for me, arguably two top class centre backs. Um, and, and not just not just good players, but you need at least one leader as well in there. Because um, I like Laporte do, but he'd really benefit from having someone who's just as commanding and as vocal next to him. Um, I think that's huge for them in terms of in terms of kind of closing the gap on Liverpool next season. Yeah, I think for me, I I can't look past the centre back. Um, and I mean a, pro- a proper centre back as well. I mean a, a player who's capable of of basically coping with what what wants basically. Um, we covered that before in terms of how he puts excessive burden on the shoulders shoulders of his defenders, especially. Um, because you know you're different halfway on the halfway line, fifty yards from goal. Um, one mistake is going to result in a goal scoring chance. And you have to be quite assured, you have to be quite brave, bold, all that sort of stuff. Um, you have to be calm as well when you're, when you're assessing decisions, whether to dive in or not, whether to just um, kind of jockey your player into, into the corner or whatever. And I think, I think they've got centre-backs that they're quite capable on the ball, but I don't think the... I don't really think they're complete enough for Pep. Um, like in Nicholas Otamendi, for example, Radio Arath, um, he's got a concert until 2022. John Stones, who's really good on the ball, but I've been quite surprised at his lack of development under Pep. I thought he'd be the perfect coach for him, but clearly not. He's barely playing. He, um, his contract runs out in 2022. The, the young lad Garcia quite, quite came in. He looks decent, he looks good, but he doesn't look complete enough for me to, to defend on the halfway line every week. Um, he looks a little bit slow, not quite, you know, as long as, say, for example, a Van Dijk or a Gomez. So, yeah, I think they're a partner for, for a port who's going to be able to cope, basically, with, with the demands that, that Pep put on the shoulders. And I think just to provide an example, this is for a piece that I wrote a few weeks ago, just to provide an example, of the type of burden that these players have to deal with on the pep. Um, hopefully you can see that they've... Right, so apologies for those who are listening, but that is a graphic of City against Wolves. Ten minutes to go, and you have Adama Traore behind City's midfield, up against only Fernandinho and I think Otamendi. Um, and as you can see, there's absolutely loads of space um, Jimenez is just hanging on the shoulder there of Cancelo, I think. Um, but it's just that is a tricky situation for any player to deal with. That that's a really difficult defensive situation to manage. If Triore gets the ball, I don't think City have got the um, the centre backs to to adequately manage those situations. Hence why they dominate for like ninety five percent of matches. Players get in moments like that because of the space in the time. Triori's got, for example, there, they end up conceding from it. So 
it's they, they, they need a centre back for me who's, who's really complete. I think. Yeah, I agree. It's difficult to find the good thing from a city point of view is they've, you know, they're, they're never ever short of funds. Are they? they seem to have a have a budget of around one hundred and fifty million at minimum every every summer. Um, so you probably wouldn't bank against them not upgrading in that area. Uh, in fact, I, I, I'm presuming that they will, um, because it's been so obvious this year that's been an issue. But another thing I wanted to touch on from a city point of view, that I suppose you almost alluded to a little bit there in terms of the domination, um, but those odd moments, is I, I, it's really difficult actually to to articulate this and think about how Guardiola will get around this, but City just seem to lack a plan B. And I think that's Guardiola's style that they've always he's always kind of one one way of playing and it's it's rigid in, in how they how they kind of uh, deploy it. You know, the they're unstoppable on the day when their game plan goes as it should do. Um I mean I know the pressure's off but have you had, have you sort of answered their last few fixtures? You know, the one, two, three, four. The last five games, they won five nil, five nil, two one, four nil, and five nil. And <laughs> you know, and admittedly the base for the Titans was over at this point, no pressure, and they're against sides who are largely bottom half, but you know, that's that's insane domination and and that's that is them all over. But I had a look, Josh, and they've conceded first in twelve league games this season. And they've only won two of those games, losing nine. And that to me says they're just not a good reactive side at all when it, it when things don't go to plan. And I, I compare to Liverpool, I haven't got Liverpool's numbers to hand, but I know just from watching them all season that you know, so many times they go behind, you know, thinking Newcastle Anfield early in the year. Um you could probably name four or five off the top of years as well. Villa, that was one. Um Liverpool just always seem to not panic and know that they'll create the chances and they'll get back into the game. And, you know, football, just as a how you are, the game plan can be perfect because it can be impacted by so many variables, so many tangibles. And I think what we're finding is in this kind of new era where you need, you know, 95 points to win the league, you basically need to win the you know, basically all your games. And if you're not able to react when things don't go your way for whatever reason, then you, you're going to struggle. Um, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on how Guardiola fixed that, you know, because there'd have to be a change in his kind of whole philosophy. I don't know, but I think City are always going to struggle unless they can start finding ways to to bounce back when it doesn't go to plan. Yeah, I mean, some of them was really, really interesting. I had no idea that out of the 12 that went down in the last nine of them that's quite a start that um, yeah. I think that does definitely offer an insight into some um, but I know what I mean I think you can have you can have a set way of playing and a set philosophy while also having a number of plans that you can use Liverpool are a perfect example of that say for example when we played against Burnley I think and he's an adequate example really press as intensely as we normally do and that's because we know that if we press the likes of Ben May, he's just going to hit it 60 yards down the pitch so there's no real point um, but yeah, you're saying um, one, one thing I've picked up on regarding, regarding City I, I can't help thinking whether 
whether um, I, I need maybe two attacking. Um, and what I mean by that, if, if you look at Rodri in the, in the sixth position, he, he's not a Fernandinho um, in terms of mobility, at least. Fernandinho can do the do the running of, of two players. He, he can, you know, he used to be a box player. He's, he's got that in him. Um, I think Rodri's less mobile, but he's he's obviously great on the ball, a lot more physical in terms of height and stuff like that. But he's not as quick across the ground. But I think Guardiola would give him the same amount of space to cover as Fernandinho had to cover. Um, and I think there was a there was a quote from I think it might have been Cruyff on Guardiola when Guardiola was a player. I think it was along the lines of yeah, you're really good in possession. He's talking to Pepe. Yeah. You're really good in possession, but you can't defend. Uh, you're very slow. So the, what we need to do when we use the ball, we need to make the pitch really small. We need to, you know, present you with as little as little as possible to do in terms of defending and stuff like that. If, if you used to give Guardiola back in the day, the answer that Rodri's to manage, Guardiola would probably, you know, fall on his face. Um, so I, I think if you look at City's numbers as well, they, they score relentlessly the next year is ridiculous. But on the defensive side, they do afford these big chances every now and then. Um, and I just can't help thinking that the way when Liverpool got Fabinho in, they kind of stopped the high press to so dramatic extent and they dropped back a little bit, soaked pressure a bit more um, and kind of compensated for Fabinho's weaknesses with that being he's not the quickest. City haven't done that. City played though Fernandinho still is and I think it's kind of highlighted a bit of a a bit of a flaw in how they've replaced Fernandinho I think I, don't get me wrong I think they replaced him well but Guardiola hasn't kind of uh, adjusted accordingly for, for Rodri's weaknesses which sounds mad coming from me to, you know telling Pep Guardiola what he should, should be doing <laughs> but I, I just I, I feel as though um, they're still in the same way and if, if Paul was still playing as they did in the first two years on the clock, Fabinho would look constantly, um, what's the word, just vulnerable, exposed. What's the word I'm after? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to say I agree. I, I do really like Rodri. Um, and you know, I think he's probably the closest like for life you can, you can get. But maybe there just does need some adjustment in there um, just to make life a little bit easier for them. Uh, to get the best out of him, that's yeah. that's probably the best way I'd, I'd, I'd summarise it. Um, so maybe that, go on. I was going to say, I think the best example I can give is, say, for example, when you think of a, a whole midfielder, the, the Pep Guardiola whole midfielder, you probably think of Sergio Busquets, don't you? Mm. If you were to play Busquets as City's number six this season, I think he'd be in a lot of in a lot of instances running ahead this chicken trying to manage the space. But not having the legs to do it. That's the best way I can probably put it. I think he's 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 putting a lot of um, emphasis on on his number six to cover ground for Fernandinho. But Fernandinho's ability to cover ground was is mostly unrivaled. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. It's um it's as I said, I don't know what he's doing actually. Is he gonna have to just adjust tactically things uh, based on what you're saying there and what 
I said about the inability to react to things. I, I, I don't know. It's 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 hard, but I definitely think beyond the obvious of improving the defence, there, there does need to be some sort of change in this regard uh, to keep pace with Liverpool next year. Yeah, I think one more lad is obviously the little bit gritty here, but probably add an attacking player. I think considering they are, they're going to lose David Silva at the end of the season, so you know he's not going to play another Premier League match for them. And also Levi Sane, obviously been sold, and he hasn't replaced yet. So Phil Foden's coming through and stuff like that, but I'd expect him to sign at least one more attacker to just add, because considering they want virtually every trophy to compete for, mm. you do probably need that there. So actually wrote this week at the request of the Manchester Evening News about a player called Ferran Torres, Valencia, who they apparently, you know, he's apparently on the shortlist. He looks like a decent player, still only 20. But he's probably going to be added to City's looks. But I think the biggest difference for City, the player that will add the most points to their season, would be a proper centre back. You know, in the, in the mould of, I think they've been linked with Koulibaly, for example. Um, I think if they signed Koulibaly, considering he's about, I think he's like 29 or something, isn't he, Dave? Yeah, he is. Yeah. See, if they add him, that's clearly very much just. We are buying this player almost like when United bought Van Persie just to sign, just to win the league the next year, but with kind of taking a financial hit on, you know, he's very quickly going to probably going to decline the ability sort of thing. So it'll be interesting to see if you do actually move for a player like Gula Valley because uh, that'll show their intent to just immediately win the league again over Liverpool. Mm. Yeah, I agree. You know, it could easily find that quicks. Um, part because they have so much money anyway, don't they? So they, they could then, as I said, they've got to have another 100, 150 million next year to then improve further. Um, so it just depends on how they look to do it, I guess. Next team, arguably the easiest to sum up, I'd, I'd expect Chelsea. Uh, what, although it's not already obvious, does Chelsea need to the league? <laughs> Um, I think they need a, a really good goalkeeper. Um, yeah, and, and they also probably need an upgrade somewhere in, in the defense as well. Uh, yeah, I think the attack is the attack already looks good, and it's it's about to get you know two or three elite attackers jo- you know join it or take the place of who's there at the moment next season. So the attack's going to be no issue. Just if they can find, um, you know save a few points at the other end of the pitch yeah I must say regardless of thinking of where they're all going to fit in signing Zich Werner and Averton in the still summer that's a serious upgrade in attack that I mean you know two of them especially have got real real output Havertz hasn't yet got that I don't think he's really an output kind of player but he's clearly world class going to be world class at least you know I think he's still 20 years old or something Going to lose Pedro, probably going to lose William, but to replace them with those three, you know, they're Zierk and Werner are proper output players, you know, they do an awful lot in a number of areas. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, I tweeted the other day that I personally probably wouldn't upgrade Kepa this summer, and the reason I wouldn't upgrade him this summer is because you'd, you'd only really do that if you want to win the league next season. 
and obviously, you know, any Chelsea fans probably going to say, well, if we can, you know, we should try and win it as soon as possible. But we're going up against still a prime Liverpool and a City who want to get back to the top. I think you're asking a lot if you if you if you expect Lampard to win the league already. So I'd probably bring in, you know, the likes of Zier and Werner. Probably give Kepper one more year, considering he cost seventy two million. Um, and then I'd see where we are next summer, probably, and then you know, then go for the league if he's still not good enough. But you know, with this being what the each team need to be good enough to win the league or challenge for the league, they, they do. Now at least it looks like they need a new goalkeeper because he's just just to put into context um, this season. So we'll start with save percentage. So in terms of shots on target against, Kepa has faced ninety nine shots on target. He's only saved fifty five of them. Um, that leaves a save percentage of about fifty five percent which is comfortably the worst in the league. Jordan Pickford is next on 63.4%. So Jordan Pickford's the next worst, but his percentage is about 9% better. Mm. Um, and then most of the keepers are in the 60s and then the 70s, but Kepa's the only one in the 50s. Mm. Um, and in terms of expected goals, Kepa this season, I want to say, has conceded about 9.2 more goals than he should have. That's according to post-shot expected goals. So what that basically means is if Chelsea had a bang average goalkeeper between their sticks this season, he would have conceded about nine goals less, which is you know quite incredible, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at, say, for example... Um, Alisson for Liverpool. Alisson is probably not the best example yet, actually, because he hasn't had the, the best season in terms of these numbers, at least. The best, according to the year numbers, this season has been Hugo Lloris. He's prevent, prevented an additional nine nine goals from, from being conceded by Spurs. Kepa has conceded an additional nine goals, so that's an 18 goal swing, really, from having Hugo in goal to have Kevin in goal, which, you know, speaks for itself, isn't it? Yeah, you know, multiple kind of football statistical studies have, have really concluded that a goal will normally, on average, represent a point in the Premier League. So you could make the argument there that he is, you know, it might sound a little bit harsh, but he's... One of the reasons why they've conceded ten points, or sorry, they lost ten points, and what the what they would have had they had a more, you know, brackets average goalkeeper uh, in between the sticks. Um, you know, another thing as well, actually, Josh, that might be a flag. And while we're talking about Chelsea conceding goals, they have seemed to have a bit of an issue in terms of conceding from set pieces as well, haven't they? Um, yeah. yeah, and I Looking at the goals that they've conceded, I can't tell whether it's a coaching issue that Lampard needs to rectify. Um, yeah, I remember Everton having something similar on the silver where they just seem to concede set pieces every single week. Um, you know, it's eased off a little bit under Ancelotti, but you know, you're talking about that, you know, 
goal representing another point. Um, if you're conceding five or six goals more from set pieces over the season, then you then you need to. Then that's gonna have to play a huge part as well, isn't it? And you know, normally these this amount of points, you know, five or six points, ten points, is it, is normally really decisive in terms of where you finish in the table. And if it's things that can just be rectified very easily, then then it's something that needs to be a priority. Yeah, I actually saw them say to a, I can't remember who it was, one of the outlets, one of the papers, and it was to do with um, to rectify our set-piece vulnerability we have to sign sole players, um, which is a bit of a concern for me if I was a Chelsea fan. Mm. Uh, I think it's helpful if you've got sole players, but I think above everything else, it requires just organising communication structure, that sort of thing. And I think he kind of, his answer and what he said about Mourinho back in the day just suggested that he's a bit more open to the elements of chance when it comes to uh, set pieces, defending mm. set pieces at least, which I think is dangerous. Um, but you mentioned Marco Silva's Everton there. One other thing that I think they have in common is, um, this is possibly even why he was conceded more than he should have, is I think when Chelsea do face shots, they're quite clear cut um, in terms of XG per shot against this season Chelsea and this is it annoyingly this includes pens so I'm not sure where they would rank if pens were excluded but they, they currently face I'm going to say one, two, three, four, five the sixth most clear cut shots in the league I'd expect that to probably be a bit you know, even worse once penalties are removed from the totals of other people, of other teams. Some of the teams face quite a few, uh, a few penalties, given away quite a few pens. But City are the same. City tend to face very few shots, but when they do, they're quite clear cut. Liverpool, on the other hand, face the the fourth worst XG per shot against, which suggests that, you know, when you get a shot against Liverpool, it's a lot harder to score than it is when you get a shot away against Chelsea. So yeah, I think Lampard's got plenty to work on still. I don't think they've finished that by any means yet. Um, set pieces maybe the way in which they defend to ensure that teams don't get clear-cut chances and certainly a goalkeeper. And I think, given those aspects, I think that's that's probably a bit too much of a leap for me to make in one year. Mm. Yeah, it's. I've just had a quick look as you were talking there, and they, they ranked tenth this season for for goals against, which is pretty crazy for the team that finished in the top four. All right, in terms of, and you ran through some of the XG numbers there. I think in terms of XG against, um, it was roughly around, you know, in, in somewhere in the top five, which kind of coincides with what we just talked about for the past five minutes about the reasons why it's a lot higher, but. Uh, if you just look at that as just a number on its own, it's it's really poor, isn't it? Really, to have conceded the tenth most goals in the in the Premier League for side that's the top four. Yeah, the last the last time I checked, in fact, I'm gonna say I think the yeah they conceded the same number of goals this season as Brighton, mm-hmm. um, and Brighton finished fifteenth. So yeah. that offers an insight into what you need to work on there straight away. Mm. So. Manchester United then, we'll move on to United. I think a few people maybe got a bit of a concern that United are coming back. So I think, to be honest, I think with quite a few points 
a while back actually, like you know, last season and stuff like that, suggesting that they're, they're on roughly the right path and they were doing, you know, they, they were doing, you're making fewer mistakes at least. Um, I think they've had a few hits in the transfer market, no real big errors. Um, they got a gala win, but it's only online, it's only on loan. But each signature they've made, you know, Bamba Saka, he's been fine. Ali Maguire, um, Bruno Fernandes, especially, he's been a hit. Daniel James, you know, again, fine. Not big hits, especially, but when you get Pogba back, when you get Martial firing, when you get Green coming through, you know, they're doing the right stuff over there. I still don't think they're, they're quite um, as sophisticated, maybe, as, as Liverpool are. But I think they're on the right track. And I don't know what you think of next season. <laughs> so I do, I do... I did say, you know, a couple of months ago, I think Craig Bellamy was quoted saying, you know, the, the some of the effect of it, the light years away from City and Liverpool. And I made point that I don't actually think they are. I think they're a lot closer than people realise. But I don't want that to get misconstrued as me saying, you know, they're basically knocking on the door either. Yeah, I think there's somewhere in between those two, those two places. Um, I think the attack looks good. I think Solskjaer... And I kind of jump from camp to camp with him. I don't think he's a bad manager, but I also think he um, he maybe he isn't the most tactically astute either. Um, you know, it, it it kind of feels like United at the moment. So just the attacking players are going out there and kind of just working with each other and scoring goals rather than any sort of great um, t- t- tactical design. I still think. I, 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 I suppose what I'm trying to say is, Josh, what I'm leading to is I think this summer will be big for them. I think, yeah, Dan James has done okay, but he, he can't play week in, week out at the moment, uh, in my opinion. I think he needs to kind of drift in and out of the side and he needs an elite right winger. You know, they're hoping that's Sancho. A lot of the noise says it probably is. Um, they have the funds especially available now because they qualify for the Champions League and they have that to offer him um, and they probably need a, another top class central defender uh, I know a lot of people give Maguire a stick and he's obviously he's no Van Dyke, but I actually don't think he's a bad defender um, you know, I, I think he's probably a level below Van Dyke, but still good, good and if you can have another really good partner next to him I think that's a solid centre back pairing and then he just I don't know what you do with the keeper. I, I, yeah. I think, I think if the three things I've just said, right back, sorry, right winger, central defender, and a keeper, the the keeper's probably the least important for me. Um, even though I'm not particularly impressed, I think you've got Henderson waiting in the wings, who can be a bit of a rat himself. To be fair, but I think the other two are the priority over the keeper. Yeah, they're in an insistent situation. I think just on Solskjaer, I think one thing he he seems to have a decent grasp on is um, squad building. He to understand the concept of, you know, you don't need to throw money at every solution. Sometimes you'll have a player, you know, in the youth ranks like Brandon Williams or like Mason Greenwood who can come in and do a job. Mm. Um, I think Sancho would be a really good sign, I must say. I think the if I was United, I think they need a need about another two forwards for me um, because I would like to place, you know, too much too much of the burden on an 18-year-old. I 
think Greenwood's going to be really, really, really good. But he's he's just, you know, we can't be starting every single week at the minute. And I think we've been with United above everything else is that they um they can't they can't rotate at all really. If they rotate the primary eleven, it seems to fall off a cliff. Um a bit like Liverpool used to, to be honest. Liverpool have now got a bit more of a squad, not so much in the front three, but especially in the midfield, got a bit of rotation there now. I think United just need to get a few more signs right and then we'll be able to challenge. But yeah, I think they especially need forwards. Um, I agree on the keeper thing. It's quite a tricky situation. I had a look at the Hairs numbers. They're not that bad. Um, overall, his overall game isn't that bad. He's just a bit like Lovren in terms of he's fine. But then he's prone to a, prone to a big, massive blunder. Uh, he needs to eradicate them. But if you've got Dean Henderson winning in the wing, you know, it's that is a sick situation now. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can't really see them challenging um, in terms of like actually being champions and stuff. But I think that's mainly down to A, the lack of depth at the minute, at least right now, and B, just Southgate in comparison to Klopp and Pep. I think there's the complete different levels there, like a massive jump out, massive levels difference. And I think over the course of a 38-game season, I'd expect the class of of Klopp and, and Pep to just shine through. The, the two managers who are you know, 90 points above virtually every season now. I can't see United getting that much. Um, but, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to look ahead to that. Uh, but well, this will be interesting to, to readdress anyway at the end of the summer once the transfer windows closed to see if 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 each team did address you know the major issues that I've pointed out and and that sort of stuff. I'll say once more, do sign up to the the newsletters that we're publishing. Um, we'll be able to send content direct to your email, completely free of ads and stuff like that, along the lines of the stuff that we talk about on this pod. But yeah. First episode of the season being concluded. So if you've got anything you want us to talk about in the coming weeks, give us a shout. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.